You're listening to The Counseling Clinic with Aisha Jean and Lisa Michelle, the show for up-and-coming mental health professionals, advocates, and anyone else who wants to learn more about the mental health field from two not-so-professional professionals. Hello, folks. Hey, guys. Welcome to The Counseling Clinic Podcast. If you're new here, you're returning. Welcome back. Thanks for coming. So today we're going to do part three of our mental health and the system series. Um, So part one, we did the legal system. Part two was the healthcare system. And now part three today is going to be the education system. And like healthcare, um, we mentioned that healthcare is more than um, doctors and nurses. It's a whole system and, and teams and departments that work behind it um, so that you can go to the doctor and, and, you know, meet with whoever. Um, Education is more than teachers and principals. It's um, different boards, different department heads. Um, If you're, you know, higher education or if you're um, right, you know, K through 12 differently too. Right. So public and private run different. That's a great point too. Um, So yeah, there's there's a lot more to um, education than um, the surface. (laughs) <laughs> than the teachers, right? We want the teachers to do everything. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's what we'll talk about today um, is the education system. And so like our past two parts, right, part one and two, we talked about different cases that led to different laws being in place. And so that's what we're going to do today for part three is talk about the laws that are in place to help people with mental illnesses in education. So we'll start with Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. So the Rehabilitation Act actually started out as the Vocational Rehabilitation Act for soldiers coming back from war. A lot of them were disabled and they wanted more than just money. They wanted to be trained to be able to work under their new circumstances. And then (laughs) years later... (laughs) As always, a <laughs> couple of decades later, <laughs> they um, amended it. And so then in 1973, it just became the Rehabilitation Act because they wanted to include equal access as well. Um, and so like like actual just regular access, so like physical access to buildings and, and uh, transportation and things like that. Right. Um, So what people are familiar with of the Rehabilitation Act is obviously Section 504 because that's what you hear about in schools. And what that says is, according to the United States Department of Education, it says, No otherwise qualified individual with handicaps in the United States shall solely be responsible of his or her handicap, be excluded from the participation in be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance, okay? And so, simply put, that means, it means assuring equivalent resources and services to people with legal disabilities. Which is different from an IEP, um, something else you hear a lot in schools, which is an individualized education plan. Um, the IEP is for type of instruction um, or learning mechanism for, for the, the student in the classroom. 
or -hmm. within, you know, the halls of learning versus this, like you said, being access in a little more of a general sense. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I wonder, maybe we just like maybe I just didn't have enough information, but in sitting in on IEP meetings with clients, Mm -hmm. um, they've had IEPs, (laughs) but maybe that has more to do with them having an additional need for an IEP. So like maybe they had both, maybe they had an IEP and a 504 plan that they just kind of pushed together to get things done, or they were reviewing both of them, but I don't know. So I, I don't know. That's just something I'm wondering. Um, I kind of have an answer for that. Okay, well, go ahead. Um, so kind of to, to go on that question, um, one of the articles below from Access Computing has the breakdown of IEP and, you know, kind of versus the 504 plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says... Not all students who have disabilities require specialized instruction. For students who, with disabilities who do require specialized instruction, the Individuals with a Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, controls the procedural requirements and an IEP is developed. So it's kind of a tiered thing. You're not always going to need... I'm Does glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about IDEA. Yeah, so that's good. I'm glad you said that. The article also explains a little bit about IDEA and, and again, how it's kind of a tiered section off from the 504. And something they note in this article as well, they, they note that these require, quotes, requires documentation of measurable growth. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something more specific to IDEA and or an IEP mm-hmm. than 504. Because, you know, with a disability, right. you don't have to prove continually that you're mm-hmm. growing out of your disability, right? Or you're regarding education. Um, right, however, right. with something like an IEP or anything falling under IDEA, you do have to show that the treatment plan, if you will, is working. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've seen that done like with the mental health professionals in the school system and with community mental health professionals sitting in on that as well or being yeah. a part of developing that. So I've seen that both ways. So that's a really good point. Which I think is a beautiful thing. You know, we've talked in numerous episodes about people working together um, Mm -hmm. in our field, working with other fields. Um, I love that. I love not just you being able to to be there and be present, but in case they don't know what they're asking for or in case someone is is more vague than than maybe helpful. You know, you have that knowledge to step in and say, hey, wait. Right. That's, that's exactly right. Because there is this new situation and I don't know if this is going on all across the country, but it is definitely going on in some places. People are coming up with what they are calling accommodation plans so that they don't have to have 504 plans or IEPs. Right. Right. Um, and those accommodation plans grind my (laughs) gear. The only one I've read from a, a student we'd worked with was, I hate to keep saying vague. It was probably the most vague general it paragraph I've ever in my life read. It was awful. <laughs> it was like you know how they have, um, you know how they have like pre, um, like templates, and they say, "Well, write this here." You know, <laughs> for example, this here. It's like they just left the template and didn't put nothing on it. <laughs> like, 
right student's name name here yeah (laughs) i i remember reading it and then i looked at you too i was like so 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 what happens here (laughs) i was so mad about that and that's i mean obviously i've had a, a couple of students with them um but oh, that I was really frustrated about that because as I mean, if they if they have a right to it, you know, why I was frustrated because I felt like it shouldn't be a fight. You know, I should not have it shouldn't be a fight to get kids educated at school. It should not be a fight to give them the stuff that they're supposed to have. It's written down that they have a right to these things. And for whatever reason, we're arguing about it. And I don't, I don't understand why that's a thing. Like, you, you, you have to argue by yourself because, <laughs> because clearly they can have it, you know. So and that was my ha- frustration. Have it and have it well. I mean, if you're going right. to do – If you're going to expend the energy to, to, to do an IEP or the 504 plan, do it. Like, go ahead and just do right. it. Do it correctly. Be thorough. You know, and like you said, it shouldn't be a fight. It, we shouldn't, you shouldn't have to beg someone to do something like this appropriately. Right. Okay, so Michelle, can you give us a little bit of background on IDEA? Because it's ACT, right? So it's already included. Act. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So 1975, um, President Gerald Ford um, signs. <sighs> what? what was 75? I just feel no, like. No, in 1975. Was- Right, oh, that's what that, you meant. But I, yeah, I just it it just seemed like he was so many presidents ago, you know, like I I didn't think Yeah. I didn't think 75 that seems so recent. But okay, whatever. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I think that's that's fine. I thought you meant he was 75 and I was like, no, I don't. Goodness, I don't think so. Um that'd be a interesting time to start your presidency. Right. Um anyway, idea. <laughs> um it's the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. This is a law, which is great. The Department of Education <sighs> explains that um, it says, quote, makes available a free, educa- appropriate public education to eligible children with disabilities throughout the nation and ensure special education and related services to those children. Okay. So this is twofold. It's more than that, but two things on this is, this is where we bring in equal access to special education uh, because now mm-hmm. it has to be there in the public education system. Um, mm-hmm. And then also appropriate education to children with disabilities in general. Maybe it's not all the way to a special needs situation, um, mm-hmm. but now we have, this is now included into the public education system. And okay. then other things that are known about it is that there's different parts, you know, part A, B, C. C is the one for Infants and toddlers um, with disabilities um, are able to receive what's quoted as the early intervention services. Mm -hmm. And then part B, which I should have said first, uh, but part B um, is when now it extends to youth and then young adults capping at age 21 to also receive special education and then similar services. Okay, that makes sense. So like what I remember... (laughs) Well, I remember in elementary school, they used to put the, quote, bad kids with the kids who had special needs, right? So everybody was all in in special education together. Not and like I alternative just, school? No. 
What? <laughs> all right. I mean, when I went to school, it it was it, everything was alternative school. It was just fair enough. <laughs> just bad. <laughs> I call it, you know, unfortunate and underprivileged. So uh, you just got what you got. Yeah. But but I I brought that up because the language kind of makes it sound like they're supposed to be together, right? But also, we know that there are things in place for it to not be together, right? So, like, the Rehabilitation Act was there, right? And IDEA was there, but rehabilitation specifically talks about mental disabilities as well as physical disabilities. So... And, you know, after having done the other episodes, right, um, right. Uh, part one and part two, we know that they didn't often get it right. <laughs> so they had to go back and change some stuff. But it's just it's just interesting that this stuff hasn't changed very much for the better, right? I mean, yeah. obviously, we don't have any children in the public school system right now, but we've worked pretty recently in the public school system, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> working there, we see more of the ins and outs than the parents do for the most part. And we've seen that, you know, like I was saying a minute ago with the accommodation plans, that's worse. That's <laughs> that's fewer rights, right? <laughs> so, so it's just, it's just, interesting yeah this is interesting to me but i will say that i haven't seen the same kind of treatment as far as the misbehaved students and the students with intellectual disabilities being mm, lumped as but, one so i have seen a difference there yeah well and i i wonder if there's like a level of I don't want to say acknowledgement um, or understanding, but just maybe identifying different needs today. You know what I mean? Like in 2020. What, like, what do you mean? Like who who's um, identifying the different needs? Teachers or parent, whoever's placing them. You know, I think maybe mm-hmm. there's, or I hope, hope uh, <laughs> that there's more of a, like a recognition of like, oh, these students and these students are not on the same level because they're not in the same situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, in my professional experience, I have not seen that as much as I would like. Yeah. And I can say that also in my professional experience, I have seen people get it wrong on both sides both the mental health professionals Mm. and the education professionals, right? I've seen all of them get it wrong. All of them. (laughs) So, and that might sound bad, right? Like I have all the answers, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is, you know, there's some stuff that we know is wrong, right? They they have different needs, you know, and that's just the fact. They have different needs. And I've seen them lumped together on both the education side and on the mental health side, yeah, which is, is obviously there? the wrong way to handle that because you take away from the other students, right? So, yes. so nobody's needs are getting met now because the needs are so different. This doesn't have to stay in the episode, but now I'm just curious. Um, is there any kind of thing, is there anything you would recommend that's at least like a step one in alleviating that? 
That's yes. a big question. Um, I know. <laughs> it is a big question, but but I what I will say is that in my mind, <laughs> in my mind, I don't make anybody's rules, but at least to me, I think that a step one would be allowing the people who are trained to do stuff do it. Right. And this whole series is about systems, right? Yeah. The the legal system is huge, right? The the healthcare system is huge. The education system is mm-hmm. huge. The mental health care system is huge, right? Yes. And we have so many people who do so much stuff. But again, I go back to all the other uh the other two parts when I talked about how we often see the middlemen, right? So mm-hmm. and the legal system, you think of the lawyers, right? And in mental health, you think of a therapist or a counselor or a social worker, right? Yeah. Um, in healthcare, you think of maybe a doctor, but mostly a nurse, right? Um, yeah. And in education, we think of the teachers, right? Those are all middlemen. Yeah. And they should have way more influence than they actually do inside the system. Because those are the people on the ground floor. Those are the people who need, who have the information, right? They see it directly and they respond to it directly. And so my point in saying that is that I think the first step is letting people do what they're trained to do, right? Like we don't all have to do each other's job, which is, you know, a bigger issue, which we addressed a lot in, in season yeah. one, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a, that's a, a way bigger issue, but let people do, you know, validate e- each other's experiences and, and our expertise in different areas. And, you know, we'll, we'll have a future episode about this, but I don't think that teachers need to be responsible for everything, right? If they're a mental Amen. health professionals, then why should teachers be responsible for mental health you know especially with a class of 30 that's just not realistic on top of having to teach on top of having to teach right (laughs) and and let's not pretend (laughs) like kids don't go home and see something completely different you know (laughs) I hope you're not looking for that here but I don't let parents off the hook so (laughs) So sorry if that's offensive, but that's what it is. You know, yeah. they, they go home and they see different things. And I just don't think that as many decisions should be made at the top. But also, I don't think the top should be as big. But that's also American, right? Yep. That's American. That's the way our stuff is set up. It's not set up for people who think like me. And I'm okay with that, right? <laughs> I'm okay with that. I plan on being in charge myself one day, you know, so Yeah, you do. So I'm fine. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be making my own rules. <laughs> Everybody else gonna be looking crazy. <laughs> but but seriously, you know, I just I I don't think that, that the top should be as heavy and I don't think that they should be making the rules. And I I specifically don't think that they should make the rules without consideration for the ground level, you know. It's Mm -hmm. fine. I told you a couple of years ago, you know, I believe in people paying their dues, right? I I have no problem starting at the bottom. And, you know, even when we talked about like, um, um, what is it? Um, oh my God, the the thing is, it's, come on, help me out a little bit so I can help um, you out. It's right on the tip of my tongue. Um, when we talked about the, 
Integrate. Okay. Oh goodness. That was so hard for me. <laughs> Integrated healthcare. You know, I, I do think that you need to know enough to know what a person is talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. you know, I think, I think that, you know, teachers becoming principals make sense and then working their way to the school board. And then, yeah. you know what I mean? Like things yeah. like that. I think that that makes the most sense. I don't think that somebody who has no experience in education should be able to be on the school board. You know, that doesn't, make any I sense completely agree. just because you and and you know people pe- <laughs> you know this whole parenthood thing but <laughs> people like to throw around well I've raised three children you know <laughs> oh that's so comparable to the millions of kids in this education system right, right? That's, that's, so comparable that's not the you same. teaching them how to read right like, you know that's you not sent the them to school thing. for that too don't even right <laughs> so that's not the same thing but I, I just think that that um you know that you know that's the american way people like to be in charge and and that's fine there's room for that because this is america but that clearly we see that that's not the best outcome right that ain't working for us y'all right Um, that ain't working no i love that thank you that was yeah no not thank me thank you because you get to answer too (laughs) what do you think the, the first step is I really, I I agree completely with let people do their jobs. I know it's probably not realistic. I do wish there was a way that student assessment, student evaluation um, was able to come Mm -hmm. into play a little more. And I'm I'm not talking just about personality or like a diagnostic evaluation, but Mm -hmm. um, some, because like you said, the front line, you know, our teachers, teacher assistants, they are the ones who are there and they're the ones who Mm -hmm. see these children for nine months. Okay. Right. They know what's really happening, what's not. Parents know some uh, about the the in and outs of the the eight hour classroom or seven hours. Hour. Mm-hmm. How long do you go to school? Is it seven? Girl, I was wondering the same thing. Because <laughs> so when I said it, I was eight, like, give or take. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners, if I sound like a moron for not knowing that. <laughs> um, it's been a long time since so I've been in elementary school. I'm um, telling you. Anyway. Um, but some kind of, I hate to say the word mandatory, but mandatory evaluation for mm-hmm. almost like you would have to test into if you're going to be put into a special needs course um, mm-hmm. and there seems to be pushback, then there's got to be some kind of standard. Right. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And you would think that that's already happening, right? Because you get promoted from one place to another. Yes. Right? And I think but it's not, though. It's, it's not really happening. Well, I think, you know, bringing it all back to the, like, 504, because that one's a little more rigorous and, and stringent. There is something, there is a standard. Um, but I guess mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, like you said, the discrepancy of these kids getting lumped into this class or, mm-hmm. or this section of the school Mm -hmm. that I think is where like the teacher should step in and say this is when we pull out the evaluation or this is when you know what I'm saying like let them have that authority because like you said they are the front line Um, they are educated in this not only in the child's day-to-day activity but teachers learn about these things you know it's not like they're completely ignorant to it right and that makes me think about um 
in a previous episode I was talking about, I had a conversation with a friend and I was saying that people's goals shouldn't be at the bottom to own, mm-hmm. to stay at the bottom. And she said at the same time that every teacher can't be a principal. And my point was, what could possibly be the harm of us having more principals, yeah. right? There's literally no negative that could come from that. And that you saying that more evaluation is needed is proof that only more good could come from having more principals, right? Because then you get smaller class sizes, right? Because they would have more schools. So then teachers would have time or more time, maybe not enough time still, but more time to be able to, to evaluate all of those different students because people expect a lot from teachers. They just, they expect way too much, way too much from teachers. And there's just not enough time in a day. There's not enough time in a year to get it right every single time for every single student that they serve. And that's just, that's so unfortunate because people like somebody to blame, but who do you blame in that? I have a problem with that. You know, I I do, but (laughs) you know, I do, but, but who do you blame for that? You know, you can't, you obviously can't blame the kid, right? You can't blame the teacher as much as you want to, you know, you can't blame them. You can't blame the principal, right? Where does that blame go? And I think that if we would focus on the actual solution more than the blame, then we wouldn't even have to have conversations like that, right? If we were actually looking to fix it, then we would be farther along. Oh, but Aisha, people can't. They can't. I know, me and my, me and my idealism, <laughs> silly girl. <laughs> so I guess we can move on. So in this episode, I also wanted to talk about FERPA. And FERPA is not mental health, right? Just to be clear, FERPA has nothing to do with mental health, but it is important. And I'll tell you why. But first, I want to define it. Okay. So so U.S. Department of Education, they have what's called the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act. And that's a federal law that protects the privacy of student education records. And... The law applies to all schools that receive funds under an applicable program of the U.S. Department of Education, right? So any funds. And (laughs) what's important about that is if they receive any fund at all, then they are responsible for FERPA, for the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act, okay? That doesn't exclude private institutions, right? That doesn't exclude them because they still receive some kind of federal funding, even if it's simply something like lunch, right? If the students qualify for a free lunch program, then then they that would come from federal money, right? So just keep that in mind. So what FERPA does is it gives parents rights to their children's education records. And then... Once a student turns 18 or they attend a school beyond the high school level, so post-secondary education, which is college or whatever, right? Um, Because some students do that before 18, you know, in some states that happens earlier. Or you might be gifted or whatever the the situation is. So once the student turns 18 or goes to um, an institution above the high school level, then the, the rights will transfer to the student, Okay. The rights transfer to the student. Uh, 
And um, some people I work with have clearly gotten that wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And so those students, once once the rights have transferred to those students, and those students are called eligible students. Um, so you'll hear, you might hear that term floating around if you work in the education system or while we're talking about this act, even if that's the only time. So that's what an eligible student is, the student who has the rights to their own records. Um, some of the rights for parents and or the eligible students um, is that they have the right to see the records of the, the student or of themselves that the school is holding on to. So some of the rights for students uh, or eligible students or parents is that they have the, the right to see the student's records that are held by the schools. Now, if it's a situation where the family or the student can't go up there and actually review the record in person, the school is then required to make that copy, make a copy and send it to the family. Now, they may charge a fee, they're allowed to do that, but they still have to send it either way. Mm-hmm. And, but only then, like only, they're, they're not required to send you a copy because you asked for one. Right. They're required to send you one if you can't be there in person. To get it. And I would right. even say, too, they may make you prove that. Um, mm-hmm. So just be aware of that if you're in that kind of situation. Another one is that parents or eligible students can request that the school adjust a document, but they have to believe that it is inappropriate, inaccurate, et cetera. You know, so this would be if if you do review the record and there's some kind of grossly exaggerated statement or something and, and you as a parent or a eligible student want to make the adjustment or want to have it corrected, um, then you have the right to, to make a request again doesn't mean it's automatically going to get adjusted. Um, right. Now, if the school says, no, this is correct, this is this is the statement from whoever, then you guys, parents, eligible students, have the right to a formal hearing over the document. Right, which is a lot of hassle if you're just trying to get something, right? But, right. It, <laughs> but, yeah, but if it really is inaccurate, then absolutely then go it's forward. worth it. And right. I will say another deeper into that is, you know, let's say the hearing doesn't go in your favor and the school does mm-hmm. not want to amend it. You, as the, the parent or eligible student, you then have the right to have your document or documentation added in the file. So if, you know, if it's, there is a fight cool. um, and, you know, you want to have, you know, they say something that you think is not true, go through hearing, doesn't work out in your favor, you then get to add a document to the file that says, you know, this didn't really happen or this didn't wasn't as exaggerated as it seems. So at least your voice still gets to be put in there. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of hassle, but I will say that I think that these steps, this due diligence is in place. I, I appreciate it. I do too. You know, like I said, it's a big hassle to go through if it's something that you can't prove. Right. Right. I'm sure. I mean, think about, all the students that are in classes every day, yeah, there's bound to be a fraction of them upset because they thought they deserved a, an A um, when they got a B, right? That's not really the same thing. Are you really going to go all the way to a hearing for that? But if the teacher wrote on your paper that you had an A, right? 
and then the transcript says B, then that's an actual discrepancy, right? Yeah. You know, your report card says one thing and your transcript reflects another. So it is worth the fight for something like that. Yeah. So I think I think those measures being in place are necessary so that both parties still have what they need. Another thing to keep in mind, talking about rights under FERPA, is the release of records. We, you know, we talked about that with HIPAA for the healthcare. So schools cannot just be giving out your child or your um, information just because they can or just because they have it, of, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, however, schools are allowed to release some information without student or family's consent to certain parties. And, and there's a decent little list, but school officials, schools that students are transferring to, if the school is under an audit um, or any other legal ramification, so state, local, federal, juvenile justice system, as long as it still follows your state law. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are studies being done on or by the students or the school, so you know if organizations are, are doing a study on something that regards your school, they could use your child's or your information. Different accrediting organizations, because they take stats and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, as with everything, if there is a, like a subpoena or a court mm-hmm. hearing, then that has to go. Right. And then also, it's important to remember that some schools have directories, and they're allowed to have that without having the consent of the parent or the eligible student. So, like, sometimes private schools have directories, right, with each student's name and the address and phone number and that kind of stuff. So that, I mean, obviously the person, the purpose is to be able to get in touch with each other, but that might also fall into the wrong hands, right? Yeah. Uh, but they don't need consent to have that in the directory or to have the directory at all. But they do have to tell the the parent or the eligible student about the directory. Like you have to know that that exists, you know, but they don't need your permission for it. Yeah. It's more of a, Hey, we're doing this versus can we do this? (laughs) Right. But yeah. And even that comes with certain things, you know, if it's like the, what do you call it? The yearbook. I mean, I don't think it would have your, I thought about the yearbook too, Um, right? But but it still has some information and photos and clubs. Mm -hmm. Some schools do the clubs that you're in, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. So anytime that they have to put out information on you, you have to be notified. Mm-hmm. So the reason that it's important to talk about FERPA is because FERPA is kind of where things get complicated, right? Because People have kids, right? <laughs> People have kids. And so the the education system is quite convoluted, right? There's a lot of people there. There's different people there. There's people with different beliefs, people with different needs. There's all kinds of different levels and tiers and people who make the rules and people who use the rules and people who have to follow the rules and people who have to enforce the rules. And, you know, there's all of these different people involved in the school system. And they are only required to follow FERPA, right? Mm -hmm. FERPA only applies to the education record, right? So that's about grades. That is not the same as mental health where all of your information is confidential, 
right? Or I guess health in general, right? So HIPAA, which is all of your health information, all of that's confidential, right? So a mental health professional or I would imagine a doctor too, right? Am I right about that? We have to have permission before we can even say that you're a client. So, yes. right, that's that's true that, for doctors yeah, I'm too, sorry, right? Yeah, was, okay, yeah. so yeah, so that's where the, where that becomes complicated, right? It can be complicated for people who are in the school system, but are also mental health professionals, right? There are school psychologists, there are school counselors, there are community mental health counselors who work in the school system, right? So sometimes they're called uh, school-based mental health counselors or things like that. So all of this stuff becomes kind of interwoven and the rules get mixed up um (laughs) and my point in saying that is be careful folks because you are still required to follow the laws that apply to your credentials right so just because a teacher and a mental health professional meet in the hallway doesn't mean that they're allowed to share information and I have seen that get messy and even with my own clients I've sat in on meetings where there was something that I was going to talk about to the family or the student or just the parent or whoever in private. And they were open to saying that in front of the school authority figures, right? School personnel, which is fine. That's their right. But I wasn't going to do it Uh, (laughs) because those are different. And also because sometimes as hard as people try they don't know not to use it against the student, mm-hmm. right? And that's where my issue is. I have seen time and time again, specifically with medication involved, right? Right. <laughs> specifically when it, when it comes to medication, I have seen teachers and, and other school personnel shouting across the hallway about a a student who didn't take their medication and technically they didn't break any law right (laughs) because they're not bound to that law but if I had participated in the conversation then I would be breaking the law right but only to a certain extent because of course as a as a mental health professional if you go into schools, right? So if you work within the school system, you visit students at school or something of that nature, then you likely have a, a release, right, for information mm-hmm. so that you can talk to the teachers and get information from them and share information if you need to, right? <laughs> if you need to. The problem is you don't always need to. <laughs> yeah. And there's another thing with, you know, talking about shouting across the hall and stuff. With working in a school, you have to be very careful because, again, teachers, you know, if you're a mental health professional, teachers aren't abiding by the same standard of confidentiality that you would be adhering to. Um, Mm -hmm. So we talk about um, identifiers. If something your client is doing or is struggling with or the name or whatever is so specific to that teacher, like that teacher would really pick up on it, you don't need to talk Mm -hmm. about it because then... Right. Because within schools, and, and, you know, we've, you and I have been in schools before, conversation carries so far. You know, mm-hmm. it was not uncommon for the principal to ask about something or something that they um, would hear from other teachers to other people. Mm-hmm. Not that we were 
shouting it across the hallway, but word gets around. Um, and right. so you have to do your due diligence in monitoring your conversation and your um, disclosure, even if you're not using their name. I think that's, it's a great excuse sometimes, but it mm-hmm. is sometimes it's merely an excuse. Right. Oh, the, I did the bare minimum by not su- using their name, right. but I explained every other detail of their life. Like, right. On. And that's not always ill intentioned. Like, you know, um, I don't, I don't think it's, I'm not silly enough to think it's simply about gossip. Right. You know, I don't think right. that, that teachers right. are, our principals are, they only ever want to gossip about a family, but you have to keep things in right. perspective. Right. People have children, but also Teachers are people, right? So they have children. Sometimes they go to the same school they work at. Most people have siblings, right? So sometimes you've worked with a family before. Sometimes a teacher from the previous grade is telling a teacher for the next year how to prepare for a student. Or sometimes they might be saying, hey, look, I've worked with this family before. They're great to work with. Maybe they're awful to work with, you know, so, um, you know, but it's not always ill intention. Sometimes they're trying to prepare their coworker, right? Or just share the information that they have, which can be great, but it's not always great. You know, I've had a teacher ask me, oh, you you think this kid got ADHD? I don't think he has it. I can guarantee you this kid had it. But the reason that (laughs) I I absolutely guarantee it. Um, (laughs) But the reason she thought that is because like we said, it's a school system and word gets around. And now you have people who are ill informed about these or even misinformed about these illnesses, right? And so what happens is a lot of times students are diagnosed with both ADHD and ODD together, Mm -hmm. right? And teachers can get confused about that and think that one is the same as the other or one looks like the other, right? right? And that was the case here. She was thinking ODD, which that kid absolutely did not have, you know? And the reason I know that is because she said to me, well, he does everything I asked him to do. I know, right? <laughs> because he doesn't he have does. ODD. Right. <laughs> that doesn't have anything to do with his ADHD. Right. That he absolutely 100% <laughs> has. <laughs> oh, gracious. But, but you know, and, and so that's, that's the thing. You know, I was able to talk to that teacher because I had permission, right? And we were talking about a specific student and trying to get his needs addressed the right way. Yeah. But that teacher talking to another teacher who might not even know this student, right? If she said something about the student that you know, whatever it was, talked about his ADHD or his medication or anything like that, you would like for that to be a breach of confidentiality, but technically it's not for a teacher, right? right? You know, I think that the student should have a right to that privacy, you know, and obviously I do this for a living, so I, I would likely be on that side. But again, like I said, sometimes people don't know that they're using that against students. Sometimes they automatically have negative expectations because they know that this kid takes medication for ADHD or they might give them excuses, you know, that slow their progress, you know, well, you didn't have your medication today, you know, it's okay, but that's not true. And that's also not your area of expertise, right? Right. (laughs) Which goes back to us using each other, right? Also, they might have had their medication that day. Right. But, but they can. So what else they going to do except take the excuse that you give them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
and that's the thing, you know, if you're a, like you said, the teachers just don't have the same standard of confidentiality. And so if you are the school counselor, but you're best friends with third grade teacher, just monitor how you, you know, oh, I just had this student who like, you got, you got to kind of rein that in a little bit sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, sometimes it ends up hurting the student. Right. Even things with social media, right? Because mm-hmm. teachers are allowed to connect with students or families yeah. or whatever Post. on social media, yeah. right? They can post to them or anything like that. But as much as people try to pretend they don't know, people who are mandated under HIPAA are not. Yeah. Mental health professionals, um, doctors, nurses, all of, none of us right. are allowed to do that, you know? Thank goodness. That's a rule I'm but, not upset about. I, me either. I, I don't want to talk to him at all. Please. <laughs> I don't want you on my social media. <laughs> I don't actually want myself on it, but, <laughs> but that's not the point. You know, I need some space. Uh, <laughs> but I know. So, yeah, that's where FERPA kind of complicates things for mental health and other health professionals. And the CDC has a nice little PDF outlining the the differences between FERPA and HIPAA. I thought it was kind of strange that that was on the CDC's website, but I guess it makes sense because the CDC is Center for Disease Control and, and, you know, that would be health information. So I guess that makes sense. Uh, I feel like CDC does a lot. Like, I feel like they are Center for Disease Control, but also (laughs) other health I was, I was like, this is kind of strange, but I guess if it's health, then that's fine too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, but we'll, we'll attach that. So we talked about IDEA. We talked about the Rehabilitation Act with Section 504. And we talked about FERPA. And obviously we talked about HIPAA last episode because that was healthcare. Um, and so we talked about all of those things related to the education system. So that's all we have for you today. Tell us about your experiences. If you're a mental health professional in the education system, you can simply tell us that. But also you can tell us about the experiences that you've had. Have you found yourself struggling with the differences between FERPA and HIPAA as a professional in the education system, specifically like for school counselors or school psychologists? Have you had those issues, but also just um, mental health professionals who who visit schools? Um, You know, school systems also have district social workers. That's complicated, too. So tell us about those experiences. Um, Have you struggled with confidentiality? Have you been on the client's end? You know, as a student yourself, have you struggled with people in the school system not exactly breaking confidentiality, but, you know, ignoring your right to confidentiality. Yeah, that's a good way um, to put that. That would be nice to hear about if anybody wants to share that with us. Or, you know, if you're an advocate, maybe you weren't actually yeah. the person who it happened to, but if you're an advocate, share that with us. And also, have you seen anybody misuse sensitive information? You know, I shared my experience. I'd like to hear if anybody else is having those experiences as well. And as always, guys, all of the links and the articles and the graphic from the CDC will be posted below. 
So read through them. There are not as many as normal. <laughs> um, we <laughs> usually have a lot. So they're pretty quick reads. There's just a few of them, but they're really great as we're learning to be more professional. Mm-hmm. Even if this and isn't your area, there's still a lot to have in your tool belt. Right. Because as a person, you have mental health, right? <laughs> you. You have a mind, so it may affect you in some way. So um, it'll be nice to have that information in your back pocket in case you ever have to use it. So thanks for joining us, folks, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to The Counseling Clinic with Aisha Jane and Lisa Michelle. Remember to check out our website at thecounselingclinicpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at thecounselingclinicpodcast. We'll see you guys next week for our next session. Bye, guys. The music provided by scottholmesmusic.com and our show is edited and produced by Chris Luke.